better? Okay. I, there's way too many places to stand, and I feel better over here. I hope that's okay. Um, I want to thank the congregation here for inviting me, and as well as Marty, um, up here to talk about a, a subject that is so, so important, um, uh, about godly families and raising them in this world. And about how to help those and support those who, uh, because of sin, um, there's probably tragedies in their, in their homes. And how, how we as a church family go about in helping them. And um, tell you a little bit, I didn't get a chance to say a little bit about myself uh, yesterday. Um, uh, again, James Newman. And I, I'm an elder. I'm a shepherd at uh, Embry Hills, one of eight. One of the uh, four of us were newly... Um, I don't know if you say appointed or installed uh, at the beginning of, it was the end of last year, but uh, this year. So I've been at Embry Hills for my entire spiritual life for 27 years. And um, so it's been a blessing growing up there and, 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 and worshiping with Marty and, and the boys. I knew Wes when he was there with us for a little bit and uh, appreciate his growth and his love for the Lord. And um, I have... A wife that helps that can be an elder without one, and I mentioned her yesterday, Loretta. We just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary uh, on the 5th. Uh, we have four kids, three boys and one girl. We have two, uh, the two oldest ones are down at FC right now. T- um, they're down there bunkered in the, uh, in the college as the hurricane goes over them. Uh, ni- uh, 20 and 19-year-old, and I have a 17-year-old at home. Well, actually, soon to be 17. I have too many kids. Soon to be 17-year-old in, in December, and then the little girl, Rachel, is um, 13. Um, so I thank you, and I appreciate uh, this time this, this morning. It wasn't planned that I was going to speak. Wes had sent me at, uh, an email about two weeks ago and said, hey, can you, can you preach, with a, preach, preach for us? And I said, I didn't, I didn't respond back quickly. And then I got busy and everything. I told him, I said, oh, I just may not. There's a lot of things going on. I don't think I have, I can give it the appropriate time that sermons need for whatever the topic that I don't, whether either in my mind or if he had some suggestion. And so when he picked Marty and I up at the uh, airport and we started having dinner and he started talking about this tent meeting, he was so excited about this tent meeting. He was excited about the impact it would have on you as members and possibly visitors and, and, and as he talked about the different members here and how he wants to help them so bad, it's like I just couldn't help myself. I said, okay, let me try to do something. I don't know what I can do. Marty had mentioned to me probably about a week ago. I said, I don't have anything. I just, I just don't. It, it's not one of the things I'm comfortable doing. I can sit down and have a Bible class. I can do that. Talk with something about sermons, my brain, I just, I just can't follow the things. So Marty said, tell your story. He said, just tell your story. So that's what I'm going to do today, and it hopes that in telling my story, it may encourage some. Um, uh, you may have walked the same walk that I have and say, how did you get to where you are um, now? I grew up in Chicago. Um, I was born there. Uh, and um, I was born and grew up in a, in a broken family. My parents divorced when I was in fifth grade. I am the oldest of three. I had a younger sister that passed away uh, two years ago. 
um, she was one month short of her 48th birthday. Um, she would have been 50 yesterday. I have a seven-year younger brother that hasn't spoken to anyone in the family in 14 years. I said my, fam- my family was broken. It was broken before my parents divorced. Uh, my parents fought all the time. Um, they were very disrespectful to one another. All of my childhood memories of my parents together, I don't remember a time when they were just happy, showing affection or enjoying each other. What I remember is the cursing, the physical abuse. Uh, when I would, I, what I remember, and just putting down some thoughts, when I was either eight or nine years old, standing in the doorway with my little brother, which then and my sister. And what we saw is my father standing there with a gun, pointing at my mother. And he shoots over her head, and the bullet gets lodged in between the, the radiator and the wall. And I always wondered, I said, if he would have shot her, what was he going to do with us? We were witnesses of what we saw. I remember the day that I thought was a good day when my father purchased a dryer. We had a washing machine for a long time, but no dryer. And he finally purchased a dryer and a freezer for my mother, only to remove them from our apartment shortly after, after, uh, after to give it to another woman because he had chosen to commit adultery. And when he moved out, he took mother's gift and gave it to another. As you can imagine... As you can imagine, um, there was no spiritual guidance in that home. Um, My parents were together. They had no purpose for the children, no principles to pattern their lives after. So my question, I'm going to stop right here. People that are married, what are you doing in your marriages? Do you understand what you're doing before your children. You're setting a pattern. You're setting a pattern that will be reproduced over and over and over again. Unless somebody puts a stop to it. I know we read this uh, verse, these verses all in Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to follow along. These verses, I know everyone could, could, could read and quote these things. Starting in verse 22 of Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave itself up for her. If you remember, somebody asked a question about yesterday. If someone is having problems with their wife or or it was something like that. You remember what the answer was that Marty and I gave? You need to repent. That's what you need to do. You need to repent. That he might wash, that he, he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water by the word, 
so that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands, love your wives as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Christ does for the church. You know, Colossians 3, 18 and 20 has the same thing. When it talks about children not being frustrated, I know that's in the, um, in the context of discipline. But you know another thing that frustrates kids is when parents profess something here on Sunday mornings and then they go home and they do something totally different. That frustrates the kids. That confuses the kids. That gives an opportunity for the enemy to blaspheme. And it should not be so. Uh, my boys obeyed the gospel. Um, both of them, it was like right before they were going into uh, their freshman year in high school. And there are, they are two, well, they're, I think a year and a half apart, but um, that's, so two years apart. So they both did it about the same time. So they were in high school together. One of the things I told them, I said, you're my brother now. We're brothers. I know you're your father and brother. I give you the responsibility that if you see dad stepping out of line, you check him. It's interesting that my relationship with him as a father, it seems like from the things we read in the scripture, it's only going to last here. When we go to heaven, I'll no longer be their father. I'll be their brother forever. That is the most important relationship. So parents that are, you have children that are Christians, if they're trying to talk to you about something they see or something they hear, they're not trying to be disrespectful. They love you. They would do just as one of us trying to warn you of some things that maybe you're not seeing. And I'm sure young people, make sure you be respectful. Make sure you let your parents know you honor and respect and love them. And this is said out of concern. That you don't lose your soul because you're doing something or practicing something that God would not be pleasing to God. For us as believers, it's not enough to just say that what we must do, but our profession must match our actions. Or else it's just worthless. It's just absolutely worthless. First John 2, 4 and 5 says, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar. Is a liar and the truth is not in him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk the same way in which he walked. Talking about the Lord. You're abiding with him. We know how the Lord's walk. We can read his word. Are you walking like the Lord? And 1 John 2, verse 9 says, Whoever says that he's in the light and hate his brother is still in darkness. Husbands, love your wives. We can't say one thing, or we can say it. But if we behave in a different way, John calls you a liar. Um, I've been impressed with First John. I just got finished um, uh, teaching it. People get on um, the Apostle Paul. They say he's a homophobe and he doesn't like women. They just they give him a hard time. But when they talk about the Apostle John, they say, he's the Apostle of love. Has anyone read First John? He, it is black and white. You're either with the Lord or you're not. You're either following him or you're not. You're either following the doctrine or you're not. And there is no middle ground. 
If, you, if you're a person that doesn't like gray, read 1 John. And he, it allows us to see ourselves as we should. So I would commend you to, to try to read uh, 1 John if you've never, if you've never had. You know, in Genesis chapter 18, the ideal that God wanted, he was talking to Abraham. I love what he says to Abraham in chapter 18, verses 19. He tells him, he says, For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. These children are so important. And for Abraham, he says, in doing so, righteous, righteousness and justice. So I talked about computer language yesterday, garbage in, garbage out. We, we put in garbage in these children and as far as our behavior. We can't hope but to expect garbage out. And so we have to be serious about our commitment when, we, when, we, when we're married and those things. I know it's not easy. I absolutely know it's, it's not easy. But we made a commitment to the Lord and we made a commitment to that other person. And we made a commitment to those children that came from that marriage. God's going to hold us accountable for it. My mother remarried a few years later when I was in the fifth grade. Her taste in men got worse. She married an alcoholic. And so from my fifth grade, from fifth grade to my sophomore year in high school, our lives were a mess. The pattern of behavior was consistent almost on a weekly basis. He would get drunk. He would start a fight. My mother would defend herself, sometimes with me helping. He would then lose the fight, and then he would call the police. I tell people, I said, the, 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 the show Cops, if it was around when I was younger, you would have saw the little kid, you know, when they come up there to a home and something has happened. You would have saw my, me and my siblings in those pictures. The police was constantly at our house from fifth grade to my sophomore year in high school. This pattern was repeated until the summer of my sophomore year where they had to fight to end all fights out in public for the world to see. And when the smoke cleared, my mother's last word to the police officers, if he comes back, I'm going to kill him. And I never saw him again. From an early age, during some of the visits with my father, now that they were divorced, at his home I was exposed to pictures in magazines that my father had laying around, and the images to this day I cannot get out of my head. I'm 52 years old. I'm an engineer, and I cannot remember the Pythagorean theory, yet these pictures I can't get out of my head. Those images help me develop an improper view of women and the sexual relationship. There's nothing more 
than something to be taken advantage of, used, and discarded when finished. I finished high school and college and was unable to find work in Chicago, so uh, an old high school teacher referred me to, he referred me to, uh, he had a couple of ex-students that were down in Georgia, and he said, go check it out. The job market during 1987 was pretty good. So I moved down there, never thinking I would ever leave Chicago. Just never thought I would ever leave Chicago. In Atlanta, I became more arrogant, given over to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. I lived the first part of the verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 10. It says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. And for three years, I intoxicated myself, drinking from the cup of sin, and something strange happened. During the summer of 1990, I continued to abuse my body with pleasures. Suddenly, these activities grew dull. The drunkenness and the sexual immorality to which I had become accustomed to had not only lost their sense of excitement, but now my actions began to indict me. And my conscience was bothering me. And I didn't know how to relieve myself of the shame and the guilt feelings I had. I had no prior spiritual stimulation or knowledge. I'd seen the Ten Commandments on TV. There was a Baptist church when I was in high school that I, uh, if you went, if you visited uh, two services, you get to go skate. So that was the extent of my spiritual knowledge or, or doing any spiritual... You know what? I, I forgot something so important in thinking about my parents. I found out later after I... And this is, this is so troubling. I found out later after I obeyed the gospel that both of my parents, before they were married, were baptized believers. That if you went to wherever they were worshiping, it would have the words... Church of Christ on the outside. I would have never known. Only time God's name was ever used was in the form of a curse word. Your profession has to mean something. In such, um, I started watching uh, religious broadcasts, asking co-workers about God. Who is Jesus? And depending on who you ask, you know you would get a different answer. In September of 1990, I was invited to a wedding in Mitter... My wife would kill me because this is where we met. Meridian, Mississippi. I knew the groom and and, uh, uh, she knew the bride. We didn't know each other. We just both happened to be living in in Atlanta. And that's when we met. Um... And it's interesting, I always say, you know, providential or not, that uh, if I would have met her four to six months earlier, I'd be married to somebody else. Because I was still in that phase of mistreating and, and treating people as objects just to be tossed away. 
As I began to search for answers on religious matters, I would pass a church building um, that I never paid attention to. It was in between where I worked and where I lived, and I would pass this church building for years and never paid attention. But one day, I paid attention to a sign they had outside that said, Proclaiming the Pure Gospel. Didn't know what that meant, but it was curious. Um, so I would call that building a couple of times, and it was probably Sewell Hall that answered the phone. But I could never bring myself to go there. I would ask what time service started, and I just could not bring myself to, to go. And on one Saturday night, I went out with some friends, and I scared myself. I, uh, I got into some things that the, the, it shocked me. And I said, you're going to kill yourself if you don't do something. So I got up and put on a suit that morning, and I walked into Ember Hills. I think it was um, October of 1990. And on the first Sunday of the new year in 1991, I obeyed the gospel for the remission of sins, thinking, you know, I'm no longer going to hell, because at that time, that's where my fear was. It was the fear of hell. What I discovered shortly after my baptism, I began to struggle. I began to struggle a lot. With sin, with this new life in Christ, I did not know how my addiction to sin, how that was just so habitual. How it was a part of me. And I struggled for many reasons. And uh, here are four of the ways I struggled, and this is basically the bulk of this, this lesson. And I tried to find some, some clever words. I've seen preacher use one letter to represent kind of three points and those things like that. So I tried that. So it, it, may, not, it may not be clever like these guys that know how to do this all the time. So I, I used the word Pete. So the, three, the four things that I put down that we're going to just kind of briefly talk about is pride, priorities, preventive measures, and personal connections. I was a very prideful person. Um, like I said, I was an engineer. I was pretty good in what I could, uh, what I did, and just and other activities. I just very proud. And you know how God feels about the proud, right? Does He love the proud? Does He just like? No, He doesn't love the proud. Pride. Proverbs sixteen five says, "Anyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished." James 4, 6 says, but he who gives more grace, therefore he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so one of my problems with, with my pride, um, after I became a Christian, uh, I still tried to live in, in both worlds. I still had this arrogance about me. And God says, I can't use you the way you are. You're not listening to me. You're still trying to live both these lives, and it's impossible for you to do it. So although we talk about we don't know what God is doing, we can talk about things after they happen, isn't it? I lost my job in 1991. And I was like, fine, I am so good in what I do, somebody will be picking me up very soon. One month, two months, three months. Four months, up to a year. 
And it was interesting during that year, I said, I will not take a job that was beneath me. I'm only going to, the kind of job that I'm used to doing, I'm going to do it. By the time the year was over, I was willing to sell books door to door. And I think God says, okay, now we're, we're at a place that where maybe you can listen. I didn't feel like I was dependent on God. But when I lost that job, and only, only money I'm getting is $700 a month from uh, unemployment, when your car is $310 and your rent is $440, that doesn't leave room for anything else. But yet he sustained me through that time, through the, my brothers and sisters, through a brother, Kevin Clark, that came and stayed with me one summer. And it's interesting, while I was struggling, Kevin Clark, even though he was a younger Christian than I was, he was brought up in a Christian home. And so when he stayed there with me, I, he was able to help me. I asked these questions and, and these things like that. So he sent me help when I needed my priorities. I kind of talked about a little bit, seek first the kingdom of God. My problem was trying to serve two masters. I know when we look at Luke 16, 13, that's talking about ser- serving God in manna. But I tried to live in two worlds. God said, that's not how it works. It doesn't work that way at all. Uh, uh, Marty mentioned this yesterday in 1 John 2, 6, 15, 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. James 4, 4. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Can't live in two worlds. So I had to get my priorities straight. And me being laid off, that's what happened. Started getting my priorities straight. Preventive measures. One of the things that fails so miserably is, is fighting sin. I fought sin the wrong way. It's not just enough to just stop what you're doing. It's not enough. There's something else that has to be. Colossians 3, 15 through 14, I won't read it now. But he talks about putting off things and then putting on things. And the things that was putting off, the things that we know about, the the slander, the sexual immorality, all those things, he said, but now you need to put on these other things, these things that are godly, these things that are approved of God. You need to do this. So it's, it's got, my, my son loves it. He has a blog. He says, I'm a new man. My last name is Newman. I am now what God made me. I'm a new man. He said, you've got to act like a new man. You're not that man that we buried some time ago. Romans 12, 1 and 2. This up here had to change my mind. I still had a mind of the world. He says, like, this mind has to be transformed. The renewing of the, this, this mind had worked, that we looked at things from the world, its wisdom was from the word world, it now needed to come from God. And so it has to be transformed. James 1, 2, 22 and 25, one of the hardest things to do when it talks about Looking in the mirror, looking at this law of liberty, and seeing yourself how you really are, and then do something about it. Just don't go looking there. God, I call, I told someone, I, I call this the book of offense, because when I read it, I get offended. Because it points out the flaws and the errors in there. Not that God is trying to probably say, you need to see these things and attack these things and make these changes. Because I'm trying to do something wonderful. What's the wonderful thing? He's trying to make us like Jesus. 
And so when we read his word and see these things and these flaws in there, we just got to change them. We just can't look in the mirror and say, oh, there it is, and walk away. Or look it in somebody else's mirror. We need to look in the mirror and see ourselves and make those changes. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, talking about examine yourselves. Be honest. Be honest with yourself. You know, it's interesting. You, you, you say, if you point out to a brother or sister, I see this thing, people will say, nobody's perfect. But then when you point out something, they're ready to defend it. You can't have it both ways. Either you're perfect or you're not. And consider it loving when someone says, hey, I see this. I heard this. You, you may want to think about those things that you're doing or what you're saying and not get offended from you. Offended from you. If someone loves you. That's love. Anybody ever read the things when Jesus talked to people? They got offended. And they walked away. Some walked away never anymore. But Jesus didn't go running after them. He loved them. He's, he felt bad about that, but Jesus loved us because he tells us the truth, and only the truth will set us free. One of the hardest things, um, examining yourself and going through all this, that I had to learn, my father, when he was still alive, in Matthew 6, we read this, um, uh, this is when the, 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 the disciples asked about the model prayer. And uh, Jesus gave him a model prayer. We're asked, how do we pray? And he gave him kind of a model prayer. We often read verses 10 through 13, and then we stop. We stop right there. Well, 14 and 15 says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I almost felt it was a badge of honor to be to hold forgiveness for my father. I was almost actually just kind of proud of it that you know, you know he's a, he's an evil guy and I'm now this I'm, I'm a Christian now and everything else. Then I read this, and I read that I'm supposed to be obedient, and I read that I'm supposed to examine myself, and I read also if I don't forgive, he's not going to forgive me. So actually, that's when I started a relationship back with my father for three years before he passed away. I told him, I said, I forgive you, um, and tried to get him to return to his first love. He thought he was okay, but I did what I was supposed to do, examine myself, see what I was doing wrong, and if I love the Lord, I'm going to be compelled to try to do this, even though it's hard. That was difficult. That wasn't hard at all. I had held animosity in my heart so much for my father. That's what my, that's what my brother hasn't spoken to anyone in 14 years. My mother lives with me now. My own sister passed away. Not a peep from my brother. And lastly, we're going to look at the personal connections. They help, help you through these, um, they help me through these things. Um, we talked about that yesterday about adopting Families adopting individuals or another family that may not have a father or mother and doing what we can to help support them. So as you, you heard my story, I didn't have much to go on when he talks about family or husband and wives interaction. I, I didn't know what to do. The, the, the image I had of at least a decent family was the Brady Bunch and the Bill Cosby show. <laughs> that was it. You know, most of the people I knew were divorced and these things like that. So I didn't have an idea about what's going on. 
And then there were two families at Ember Hills. They kind of opened their door to show this green Christian, just, and I don't, you know, they were just showing hospitality, but they didn't know I was observing the interaction between the father and the, and the mother, between the children and the parents. And so I was able to try to model in some way, because now I can see, this is why it's so important that we as parents, we model this, because this is what the kids are going to, this is what they're going to do when they go ahead. People are divorced, they usually divorce. There's other things, it's almost like we present to them what is the true, what is valuable, and what is right. Even though in their head they may go, this is, the way we were living is wrong. The, the women will grow up and marry someone like if he was an abuser of some kind. We'll turn around and do it. And you're like, even though when she was in that situation, I know this is wrong, but grow up and do the same thing. Young men, they see fathers disrespecting, saying all kind of ugly things about their wives and stuff. It's no wonder. When it did, or if the father's not even there. The animosity that it builds up in a, in a young man's heart about an absent father and as well as a young lady become rebellious in those because they want love. They want to be acknowledged in all these things, what, uh, what parents were supposed to do, and there was nobody there to do it. So Marty Broadwell let me come into his house. And I got to see him interact with his four boys. And then they became my four boys. There was a question yesterday about video games, and I'm glad they didn't come up because they used to come with me and I played my video games. But they turned out all right. So those were my boys. And uh, Marty. Marty's my dad. Every Father's Day, I look forward to Father's Day. Because I, I'm excited to go find something to get him. Jesus said, if you lose some things, I'll replace them. You just trust me. Matt Qualls is another family with his boy. So those two adopted me, even though it wasn't an official adopter. They did what brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to do. When there is inadequacies, when there is things that are missing, we fill the gap because that's what we're supposed to do. We're family. The last thing, with these personal connections, Jesus' death had to become personal. You know, uh, earlier, you know, it was afraid of uh, hell. And then the more you start understanding and learning more about him, then you have the same attitude as Paul did in Galatians 2.22. That Jesus died for you. Me personally. Not just for the world, but me personally. And when you... When that becomes personal, then things become different the way you, you look at God and the way you look at Jesus. He's a person wanting a relationship with me and what he was willing to do. The words that were said at the table was, uh, is excellent. 
some of the things I just can't get my mind around of. In John 8, 29, Jesus says, I always do what pleases the Father. But yet, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he asked three times, is there some other way to do this? What was so terrible? What was so terrible? Everybody said, yeah, you know, the pain of the, the cross and those things that's torn down there. There was something that Jesus said that I always do what pleases the Father that says, there's some other way to do this. And so what I can't get, wrap my head around is someone that knew the Father from eternity. For a brief moment in time, separate from his father for something I did. Who gives up their child for the ungodly? Who gives up their child when? The person doesn't appreciate the sacrifice. Who gives up a child knowing that somebody may never take advantage of the gift? John said, this is the reason why. In 1 John 4, 7 to 12, this is the love. I'm going to just go, I've got to read that. I love this verse. Because John says, you know what, you humans, you didn't know what love was. You look at love as kind of feelings and uh, it's inappropriate. He said, this is love. In 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another with the love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the love of God that was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world that they, so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that, we, not that we have loved God, but he has loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Love is sacrifice. Love is looking out for the best interests of others. God showed us what love was, or what love is. So that relationship with God and the connection we have with his people, those four P's, I repeat them again if somebody even cares about the, the thing, the pride, priorities, preventive measures, and personal connections. Now, why am I saying all this? I, I think Marty may have had an idea why this was a good idea. I don't know if I fulfilled what he thought this would be a good idea or not. <laughs> I have one more scripture. The Apostle Paul, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. He says, I thank him 
who has given me the strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to this service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that, is it, that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and it deserves of, deserving of all uh, of full assurance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might display the perfect patience as an example to all those who would believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. If God could do something with Paul, if God could do something with me, he can do that with anybody. This is not some magic thing that happens. This is the process when you give yourself over to a loving God. I'm not special. But if anyone give themselves over to God, this is what he creates. This is what happens. I appreciate your, 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 your patience with me, uh, with my tears and, and these other things. I appreciate it so much. But if there's somebody here, I don't know the congregation, but I know there's probably somebody here that's not a Christian, someone that has not started this walk, someone that's not in fellowship with God, someone whose sins is in front of them that God can't give them a hug because he's a holy God and he can't have a relationship with anyone that's not holy. I did speak to a young person and... um, Asked them, hey, you, you believe? And they said, yes, yeah, they, they, they believed in who Jesus was and what he came to do. But they said, I just got to know some more stuff. I said, you don't need to know anything else. I said, do you understand your sins have separated you from your creator? Yes, I do. Do you believe that Jesus is the divine son of God? Yes, I do. Do you believe that he died for you and he died and he rose and that he is reigning in heaven today? Yes, I do. I said, what are you waiting on? What are you waiting on? So we need to seriously examine ourselves if someone hadn't obeyed the gospel. I mean, just don't let those doubts just go out there because Satan loves the waiting game. He knows that we're going to die. Two things he knows is going to happen. We're going to die Jesus comes back. Those two things are assured. And if any of those things happen before we have made things right with God, we have missed heaven. So don't delay and then if there's some brothers or sisters that have been walking this walk, is one of the things I did, I wanted to say at the beginning and I forgot, I appreciate all our older brothers and sisters that have been walking this walk and fighting this fight. I know that there's pains and there's other things that are going on, but you're here. Do you know what a blessing and an encouragement that is? For younger people, like, what is my excuse? Why am I not here in the household of God? So I appreciate you guys so much, and thank you for making this effort to come out here. I know it's not easy, and I appreciate it. But if some of us here that have named the Lord and 
We know that we're not living the way we're supposed to. We know he would not be pleased as his parents, as his children, whatever those whatever those other vocations we may have. We have a God that says that if you confess those things, the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's easy. Let's confess those things, get back on the horse, and let's go to heaven. I appreciate your time and attention. We're going to stand for the, the song that's been prepared. Uh, the song. Uh, so if somebody has any need, why don't you come forward as we stand and sing.